Welcome to the Intentional Growth Podcast, the show that teaches you how to grow the value of a company with an end in mind. Host Ryan Tansom interviews top business leaders, authors, entrepreneurs, and other professionals who share their experience and expertise about buying, growing, and selling companies. Thank you for tuning back in. Today is episode 222. Today's guest name is Craig Rutledge, and he is one of the managing directors of VisionLink, where he has been working with businesses and their executives in compensation consulting for over 25 years. And I'm excited to have Craig on the show today because his company and team are very knowledgeable and truly understand business, business valuations, financials, and what it means to create value and detracts from value. This is extremely rare. Way too many times the professionals that are setting themselves up as executive compensation specialists tend to be insurance sales reps who can't wait to find another way to sell split dollar insurance or whole life insurance with big premiums. However, that is not what we're going to be diving into today. Today, we're going to be breaking down how to build short-term and long-term incentive plans in a way that are clear and easy to understand, consist of short-term cash bonuses and long-term phantom stock plans, and are paid for using the growth of the business's value based on the hard work and strategies that the executives are responsible for. Often, business owners know that they need to come up with some sort of short-term and long-term incentive plans to help recruit, keep, motivate the rock stars that are going to accelerate the growth of their company. However, the lack of understanding on the different ways to design a plan often end up with plans that have unintended consequences. We've all heard those horror stories of failed long-term incentive plans. Some of those stories most likely included giving away equity without increasing the value of the company, vesting too fast, having too much insurance, putting in a compensation plan without the correct financial data and integrity of the financials to clearly measure and monitor the activity and trust the data, which obviously leads to a ton of conflict and tension. And also no real thought through plan about all the different events the executive should be paid out in. And in what way? For example, if you don't sell the business, if the executive retires or quits on good or bad terms, all those things need to be thought through. We're going to be covering in great detail during the show today the best practices and how to build these types of plans. But first, I want to just set some basic foundation that gives you an idea of what's necessary to even make these types of plans successful. Without a solid, clear financial foundation, there is almost a guarantee for conflict, misalignment, and unintended consequences. The first thing you should do is set up the company financials in the three statement model. Then you should build out an annual budget from the ground up so everybody has clarity in the plan and the metrics that will achieve that success. You should build out your projections that include not only projecting out the income statement, but the balance sheet, the statement of cash flows, and normalized EBITDA. You can truly track normalized EBITDA. Then get a business valuation and put some assumed net proceeds calculation on taxes and debt repayment so that way you understand how much money would go into your bank account as you're making those one, three, and five year out your projections. Then integrate your strategic plan into those projections so you can truly measure and monitor and forecast the value growth of your company and then align the short-term and long-term incentives that are designed to grow value based on the effort that that executive or key employee is going to be implementing. Once that financial foundation is clear, the company should be able to set a par value, whether that's a million dollars or a hundred million dollars, and say that, and then project out that the future value creation is going to be responsible from that executive, and the reward of that additional value should come from the strategies that the executive's implementing. 
The goal is the person getting rewarded for additional value creation above and beyond what is capable with the current business owner and current situation is paying for their own short and long-term incentive plans through that additional value creation. And then everything is thought through of when and how they get paid out and under what circumstances and why. And then you have the systems to track and measure monitor it so that everybody's on the same page. It's truly magical when this happens. Some of the stuff that I talked about in the financial foundation that needs to be set up correctly or understanding business valuations can come from our intentional growth course. Go check it out. Go to arcona.io. Go to the education tab. Understanding valuations and value growth and having your financials set up the right way is absolutely crucial to getting any of this done. Otherwise, you're gonna be building a house on a foundation that's built of sand. If you build the financials correctly and you have a value growth strategy that's in place, putting in rock stars that are compensated for that additional value growth and they're responsible for doing the hard work makes it magical for the current business owner who can decouple their role from their business while growing that value of that asset to create more freedom and options and driving towards the individual business owner's ultimate goals. So without further ado, here's my interview with Craig Rutledge. Sponsored by Arcona's Intentional Growth Digital Course. Ryan Tansom and Pat Hobby show you how to shift your mindset away from solving for annual income to focusing on strategies that create long-term value, giving you the freedom and choices to take control of the future destiny of your business. Accelerate your knowledge with 36 videos and dozens of exercises that combine decades of experience buying, growing, and selling companies. Learn more by going to arcona.io or visiting the show notes. Good morning, Craig. How are you? I'm well, thanks, Brian. Doing I'm excited well. to have uh, have you on the show for various uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, uh, one is that the concept of executive compensation, annual uh, bonus programs, cash cash bonus programs, long term phantom stocks, all this has been of a a top topic that a lot of entrepreneurs are interested in. They've heard good stories, bad stories, and up until our conversation. I hadn't really seen a whole lot of really creative things besides just, you know, a basic phantom stock plan, or it was loaded with insurance. And the conversations that you and I and Pat had with what you're doing at VisionLink, pretty cool stuff. Honestly, I was very impressed. And we have a lot of common themes that are involved. And I think what we should do is just give you a little bit of your background, how you got to where you are today, what you guys do. And then we can kind of pick up and talk about uh, normally what entrepreneurs do, which may or may not be the right approach. And when they're just randomly giving away equity versus some of the uh, concepts that we're going to be diving into. Yeah, no, that sounds great. That sounds great. Yeah. Uh, our firm, the Vision Link Advisory Group, founded in 1996. So uh, going on our 25th year here uh, coming up. And we are, you know, if you had to put us in a, in a little bottle, we'd be a boutique style compensation consulting firm. But really, what we are trying to do is really help entrepreneurs, business leaders, really build and sustain a high-performance culture. I think um, if they can do that, they can start to accelerate performance and doing that through some pay strategies that ultimately can transform employees into growth partners, I think is the biggest, is the biggest thing that we add here. Because if you can do that, the quality of talent that you have is going to improve. Um, employee engagement will be better. Uh, the performance is certainly going to be magnified, growth accelerated, all the things that entrepreneurs are thinking about here. 
Yeah. And I'm, I'm excited because we're going to get into some of the mechanics about how to actually do this because there's so many, so many times I get people where I don't think this, this question has ever been answered that well. And so you and I are going to dive into kind of the different types, annual versus long-term value creation and, and, you know, mechanically how people are doing this. And so as we kind of just tee it up, um, well, and maybe just give a little bit of your background, how you got into this space, because again, when I got introduced to you, I was very skeptical because it was like, oh, great, another split dollar long-term, you know, insurance <laughs> specialist, can't wait. But what you guys are doing is different. And I think it's important to like shed some light on how you got to where you are, because when we had the conversation and you're dropping the finance terms and value creation and EBITDA and value growth, I was like, whoa, this is actually way different than normal. So Yep. Yeah. So it's kind of where we came from. I think all, there's four partners in Vision Link. I'm one of the partners, and we all started our careers in the financial services, insurance, and investment business. Um, and we were all together at one firm, and we just migrated towards entrepreneurs. I think at heart, we're all entrepreneurs, and and, and we're looking to build something as well. And we found uh, the product solution to all of these problems is is certainly viable, but there's a step before that, I think, that we found that basically says this. We, we, need to, we need to look at the whole offering of compensation, and financial services tends to look at one or two pieces of it, whereas we said, let's start looking at the whole of that as well, right, so that we can really address in these the, the issues that the entrepreneur is thinking about here. So we started in financial services, but within no time, we were building long-term incentive plans in the form of deferred compensation. And like you said, either using split dollar insurance or trying to use corporate owned life insurance or some of those things. But really, that's just the funding mechanism for the actual solution that a business owner is looking for here. And so we, you know, I think like any business, we started having our clients say, hey, can you help us build an annual incentive plan? And we said, sure. And they say, well, how do you do that? And we said, we'll get right back to you, right? <laughs> we'll figure that out. <laughs> and and so um, we really, instead of looking at it from that benefits perspective, we start looking at it from a performance perspective. And before you knew it, we're uh, in the compensation consulting business. And I think really, even within there have specialized and become what we believe is, you know, experts in building incentive structures, both short and long-term incentive structures. Which, and we can, we're going to get into some of the mechanics of like how you actually do that. Maybe even kind of give some examples. And I think what's super interesting, Craig, is that like, if you think about both your and I's, you know, where we've come from, it, it all boils down to everybody needs to grow a more valuable company. And how do they do that? And if you got the right financial clarity, you can tie everybody together. And, you know, I, I've talked a lot about ESOPs on the, on the show. And I think with, ESOPs naturally get this involved because everybody's focused on value creation. But if, you know, before, you're, you know, before an ESOP and before any transaction, the number one thing that's most, you know, pertinent to the owners are, I need to grow a more valuable company. And, you know, I'm layering some uh, foundation here is, you know, I think Craig, what you and I have talked about, like the annual income that there's a shift in mindset, a lot of listeners in are, are listening in of, I need to focus on the long-term value creation, not the annual income or my job. And so many times, I remember exactly where I was. I was at this conference. I did this keynote. I went to the bathroom and there was this EOS implementation uh, presentation. And then they come in and they're talking about hiring implementers, which is just essentially the GM, right? 
the, I'm sorry, the integrators. And so they were just essentially trying to hire a president or, or a GM. The amount of people that I heard just saying, well, we should just give them equity. Because essentially they're, like, the goal is to hand over the reins for someone to grow, but there's a misalignment with like, mm-hmm. okay, if you give equity without per, you know the future growth, then it's you're just you're creating problems that you don't necessarily foresee. So I think as we're focused on this, it's about whether you have a hundred million dollar company today or a million dollar, it's about future value growth and tying people to that, right? So I think there's just a big challenge when people just maybe we can talk about like the things that you've seen over the years, people that do things like I was saying where they just give equity or the things that people do wrong and the and the and the and the consequences of that. Yep. Yeah, you do see it a lot, and I think it stems from really not necessarily having a compensation philosophy. I think, look, everybody understands they want to grow their value over a period of time. I mean, I think that that's really where entrepreneurs are focused. And I think you have to understand your key people are focused on that as well. And so I think the first step is to is to define what that value creation is for everybody, right? It is what is value? How does this business create value? And then ultimately, you can develop plans that are, are there to share that value, right? And so it can be kind of one philosophy, as we like to say, but two performance periods, right? I think if you're if you're too focused, there's a short-term period, right, which is almost always based on profits. How do our profits look this year? We'll pay short-term incentives or annual bonuses or how, whatever terms we want to use. Um, and then there's the long-term value creation, right, that rewards you for building enterprise value over that period of time. But defining that first and getting people to understand, hey, here is our strategy. Here's our vision of where we're headed. Here's how we're going to get there. And here's what's in it for you if we get there. If you can do that for people, that's how we came up with our name, Vision Link, right? Is linking those two visions, the vision of your organization with the vision your people have for professional growth and reward. What are some of the biggest uh, myths that you see or like the wrong thought process when someone says, oh, I've tried this executive, but you probably get it all day long, right? Where this didn't work or what, you know, what are the, again, when you, when someone comes across and they've had a failed executive comp plan, what are the, the typical failures? Yeah, I think first and foremost, it's over-engineering, right? I think people, uh, especially in short-term plans, bonus plans, right? I think people really just over-engineer because they're trying to influence behaviors, right, with the incentive plans people and believe in that. Instead of just defining the results that are considered success, right, and kind of that, hey, we're all in this for the business success. And if you define that success, it's easier to build a plan around that than trying to manipulate behaviors all the time. You, you know, I, I, you just you just can't, people are, your people, you hire them for the, the reasons you think they're going to help you grow your business and grow value. And so then don't, don't try to over-engineer a plan that influences or manipulates their behaviors, right? You hired them for the results they can produce, let them produce them, and then reward them if they do or, or don't do that. And so I think it's over-engineering. It's probably the first step, especially in the short-term plan. I think as you start looking to, well, I'm going to use the term long-term plans here to refer to equity or synthetic equity or any kind of long-term sharing where we're measuring improvement over time in something, EBITDA uh, or business value, enterprise value, whatever that is over time. Um, I think that when it starts to relate to that, I think you get the biggest mistake is business owners are afraid to share that value because they don't know what it means. 
Mm -hmm. right? They don't know if I give you equity today, if I give you 1% or 2% or 5% or 10%, what does that actually mean? And what about all the pitfalls along the way? And what if I make a mistake? What if I'd really two years down the road go, wow, this wasn't the right guy to give this to. It's hard to unwind. So I think it's hesitation in long-term and actually implementing a long-term plan or value sharing philosophy. It comes too late for a lot of business owners. It's interesting that you say that because I, I think one of the biggest uh, uh, observations I've had, Craig, is that most people don't understand valuations. So therefore, to be able to align all this stuff that you and I are going to dive into, you can't really do that unless you have a foundation that says, hey, here's our value. Like Today, you know, based on a million dollars in EBITDA and an enterprise multiple of, you know, enterprise value of a multiple of five, where you have a $5 million company, if I'm trying to hire an executive, I want to reward them on future growth. I don't want to just give them equity. And I think, you know, as I think it'd be fun to, to go through a quick example, and then we can talk about all the different ways that you can creatively structure this. But it's like, you know, I, I, I think as people go through and they clean up their financial foundation, the things that we talk about, clean, you know, getting the three financial statements, tying them together, understanding that true value right now, if they're going to hire a heavy hitter, which you can build an insane business around a bunch of tens, people are going to come in, they're going to say, I want X amount of money, which is usually a high pay, high payroll that the owner may or may not be used to writing a check for someone else that's paid that much. They want an annual plan and then they want future equity. They're going to immediately say that, but I think what we can talk about is how it's not necessarily equity, but you can tie this all through future value growth. So kind of explain maybe the results of when you're linking those couple of visions, and then we can go and, and dive into some of the creative nature of what we can do. Yep. You're going to hear me say this a lot today. I think as, 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 that, as that business owner thinks about hiring that person you just described there, he needs to come at it prepared and prepared in the form of he needs to understand and have a complete uh, grasp of what his compensation philosophy is and why it fits and is going to make this business successful, right? And so, look, everybody coming in wants the best deal for themselves. But the best deal for a business, especially a growing business, is going to be let's 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 construct a pay package that controls my fixed compensation costs first and foremost, right? So paying salaries, maybe slightly below the market salaries, right? Maybe in close to the median or slightly below. Um, with a benefits package and a retirement plan and those types of things that are my fixed costs that I have to pay no matter how well we're doing, keeps those under control and then is able to say, we have the perfect incentive plan, right? It it has two performance periods and it entails short-term incentives based on our annual profits and long-term incentives or long-term growth based on enterprise value and that growth in enterprise value. And so there are multiple ways then to do that, right? When I have my philosophy and I'm confident in my philosophy, then we can construct those plans that say, here's how we're going to do that for you over this period of time. And you're, you're exactly right. You, if you've spent you know, the last however many years, 10 or 20 years building your business up, and you have some value already, in the example you gave $5 million of value, why do I need to share that with somebody who's coming in? I'm bringing this person in, you typically, like you say, to grow the enterprise value of my business. And if everybody believes in the vision and the strategy and how we're going to do that, then sharing that upside value is easier for both parties. Right, the, the the person coming in can see that opportunity, and the existing business owner can share more of that appreciation and value because it's only going to happen if if we create that new value. So you, there's a couple of things you just mentioned that I think are awesome, uh, and they're validating some of the previous uh, um, interviews I just recently that. 
there was uh, this woman named Allie Taylor. We were talking about essentially the uh, personal uh, personality traits of entrepreneurs and how their ability to understand complexity and their desire for control actually allows them to hit the ceiling. So she said that the more you give up control, the, you can 2x your business because of it. And so when you're talking about giving up this control and sharing future value, I, I talked about it with someone. I said, you know, when you build out the, like the, the, the phantom stock plan, you're saying, okay, whether it's 5, 10, 15% of, that, of the future growth, can you hit that or not without your people? And I don't know what your thoughts are, Craig, but like I have yet to find you know, that the 12 out of 10 players that are willing to come in just for 120,000 bucks, like they're either going to say, I want 50% of your business right now. The most really good people that are executives understand value. So they're going to request it. So you might, you might as well suggest it to them <laughs> instead of overgiving. There, there's no question. The, the long-term piece, the, the synthetic equity, phantom stock, actual equity should be the the crown jewel of your offering to these people, because it's what speaks to them more than anything else. So if you're really trying to hire somebody, and this is a high-powered person who you know is going to be able to create value, this piece needs to, to should, should really speak to them, right? It should say to them, I believe you can create value. And if you do, look at this plan that we have that will share some of this value with you um, when it's created. And so it shouldn't be. If, you, if you're if you an executive or you're a shareholder and you believe that your growth projections you have for your business and value over a period of time can happen no matter who's sitting in your, your key talent seat, then it doesn't matter. You don't need a, you don't need a plan like this if you believe it can happen. But um, if you get to the point where you fully understand that what's possible with the right people in those seats, these are the easiest dollars to spend in in all of your in all your uh, in all of your comp projects, and you hit the number on the head, right? If we're going to build a plan like this, you might be sharing five, ten, maybe twenty percent of the growth in value over some period of time. Well, guess who gets that other 90, 80, 90 percent, right? That that's you as the shareholder. So With hopefully less responsibilities, right? I mean, that's the whole point. And so um, as. Just for some clarification of some of these uh, terms you've been throwing out there before, because I want to get before we get into like an actual example, and we get kind of some uh, show some examples of how you can get creative on this. Your definition of phantom equity, synthetic equity versus real equity, and then the differences between the two. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's, it's easiest to start with the real equity. So regardless of your, uh, your, your capital structure, if I'm an S corp or a C corp, right, we have issued shares, stock shares out there. Um, which you can use in a compensation plan, right? We we can give those shares out, and then we 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 bring on all the issues that come with that. They're they're not insurmountable. There's nothing wrong with using actual equity. Um, you're just making a little bit more permanent decision. And tax wise, we get into some other issues here along that way, right? If I use actual equity, then a person needs to pay their income tax as those whatever you gave me vests, right? And so now. You're giving me a piece of paper and ownership in a private private company here, and I have to write a check to the IRS potentially to do that. So, and then I have minority shareholders, right? I have a minority shareholder or shareholders now, depending on how I'm doing that. And so, if we're a pass through entity, I'm issuing K ones every year for for tax purposes and all the rest of those things that go with that. They have they have rights to see books. They have all types of, of rights to look at those types of things. And so. It's been around for a long time that the term phantom equity or synthetic equity or whether you can use any term we want. There's been, I think people have various feelings about things of the terms. You can actually call them anything you want. But really what it is, is I call it, it's really a value tracking. 
stock, if you will, right? Because it is not tied to your actual equity at all. It's a compensation plan. So phantom stock is a compensation plan, a long-term compensation plan where the metric is the business value, right? Where, where we're saying we're going to track this business value over a period of time and we'll share some value from it, either actual value like a share of stock or appreciation in value like a stock appreciation, right? So it, it's just constructed once we decide that, we can construct it almost any way we want. We create a valuation or we can use a third-party valuation. Uh, we create the number of shares in there. We give those shares away. We track those shares. And ultimately, we typically settle them in cash. That's the major difference, right? It's a cash-based plan versus an equity-based plan, although they have a lot of flexibility. So if you're unsure on equity uh, at the beginning, but ultimately you might want to use that, you can settle, meaning when it comes time to pay for my phantom stock, I can pay them in actual equity. So I can save cash later and pay in equity if I really want an equity partner. So thank you very much. That's super good for the foundation. I think what we should do, Craig, is kind of just take like a hypothetical example, just kind of walk through the decision-making trees as people have it. And the one that I love is that I think a lot of people can relate to is they start off with, let's take that million dollars in EBITDA and let's say it's worth 5 million in value. And, you know, based on our, our, our uh, intentional growth principles, that's number two. If an owner is saying, you know what, I want to go from 1 million in EBITDA to 2 million. So I can go from a $5 million valuation to 12. And that way I can hopefully, you know, when they get to the 2 million in valuation, they might target an ESOP or target a private equity recap, but they're going towards options, which is kind of that they go from no man's land to <laughs> the ability to have more options. So therefore, there's this value gap growth that they need. And usually, if you think about all the all the material that they have to have done before this, they have to have clean financials. They have to have a true indication of value, right? So we're not going to be diving into all that stuff that they should already have done, but they have this journey that they want to go to increase value. And now they need to essentially hire the players to get them there. So I think let's talk about for the annual, like what are the ways to do this when, when they're recruiting something or someone, the annual bonus plans, how does that work? And then what are the different ways you can kind of just talk about the, the shares and the vesting and how that would work to go from the five to 12 million evaluation. I think it's a very specific target and, and roadmap that people are looking for. And then we can talk about at the end, what happens if there is a transaction or not a transaction and the kind of the different things that happen at the end. Okay. Yeah, let's 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 jump pretty pretty quickly here and we'll get to the long-term plan. But as I said kind of before, we our philosophy is that there is one plan with two performance periods, right? So when you're the variable component of pay for this for this uh, executive here that this this value creator is we're going to create an annual plan typically that is going to be based on profits, annual profits. Hey, here here we go right here. We're going to set up a plan that has usually a range of opportunity and a range of rewards for you. So we're almost always going to set a threshold, right? A base threshold for this annual incentive plan that says we have to hit at least X in, in revenues and profits. We do like both as metrics here uh, for that, but there's a minimum, right? There's a base that we have to hit before we start paying incentives. You don't pay incentives on the first dollar of profit that you earn in a year, right? There's some level we need to get up to, and we call that the threshold. And literally between the threshold and what we call target, target's really our budget for the year. What's budgeted revenues? Uh, what are budgeted profits for the year? And that's the target we set. And then if we hit that target, that's where that executive would earn their target bonus, which might be expressed as a percentage of salary. It might be a flat dollar amount. You can express them in multiple ways. Are, and then we want something. I'll just yeah. it just it, 
these are things that they can control too. Like, and and because I've seen so many times where like, you know, you might put an annual plan in, but the the president can't control certain factors or they're driving the wrong, you know, the wrong behavior. So I don't, I mean, you want to make this as simple as possible. It is, right? That's why we usually use revenue and profits, right? We don't, if you just, if it's solely profit focused, do you really want that guy, you know, just solely focused on one year's profit at the expense potentially of some growth opportunities that might present himself? And so we usually do have a dual metric plan there um, that is focused on both of them there. Um, and he has full control, right? I mean, he, he should have full control and full, full visibility on this um, and the ability we believe to be uncapped. I think one of the things you see often on, on times here is, I want to put a cap on these things. And we would say, why? If you construct this right, and if you build the metrics right, and you build his his or her opportunity right in there, these are the best checks you can ever write, right? Is your annual is your annual bonus check because you constructed it right. We're usually sharing, you know, a, a fraction of the profits here with that person. And so I think constructed right, the annual incentive plan speaks to driving annual profitability, revenue growth for us, and it speaks to those things. The second period is what we're talking about, which is now this longer-term period, right? And, and, it, and it's saying, hey, let's re- reward you for building enterprise value over time. And so if our budgeted profit number, just like you said, because that's our current number, is a million dollars a year, we might base that million on earning your annual bonus this year, but it's also a starting point for our value creation. And so uh, we'll, we'll continue along the lines of the of the $5 million uh, valuation here and assume we're going to use a phantom equity type plan. Well, that's kind of our baseline, if you will, right, is is we would construct it almost exactly like you described. We would say, let's pick usually EBITDA as, as a valuation metric, although it doesn't have to be. It can be anything you want. You can truly go out, get a valuation done. I think it's unnecessary, but you certainly can. And it could be other metrics. But I think in the marketplace in general, EBITDA multiple is, is a very commonly used valuation metric. And, and it's also easy. I was just going to say, if I can add the note there too, because when we were uh, having our conversation prior to this, you know, whether it's normalized EBITDA or, or in, as you're going into this, may, talk about uh, debt and actually the equity value too, Craig, because I think, you know, there's, depending on how you, um, if it's a private business owner, they, they don't want, as they're sharing their financials, they don't want, if I'm hiring you as my CEO, all of a sudden now I've got to not have all these perks because I'm impacting you. So just weave that into the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is for sure, right? I think so. If we would think about the the perfect formula for these plans would be EBITDA times a multiple minus debt plus cash, okay? So so pretty pretty common valuation metric for the plan. Now, when we say EBITDA, it's never going to be the EBITDA from your financial statement, okay? It's never going to be that number, mostly because we first need it for valuation, but these plans create a liability and thus an accrual charge to earnings every year. And so no matter what, um, it's always going to be what we call plan EBITDA. And so we want to call it plan EBITDA because then we can define what we mean by that in the document um, on the actual metric. And so that EBITDA might have all kinds of addbacks um, in it, such as we normalize EBITDA for shareholder compensation, or we take shareholder compensation out altogether, right? Because if we're measuring improvement over time, it doesn't make any difference. As long as we pick the same metric from the beginning, and this is an appreciation plan, then we just keep that same thing. So sometimes we actually take shareholder comp out of it completely, or we'll just put a normalized number in there that we say every year, and potentially over time, it might go up depending on the role of shareholders. So if the shareholder is, is act, acting as the CEO and we're having a president or CFO we're doing this for, 
uh, we're going to put normalized comp in for that particular position, right? And that region and all the other things that go into kind of a market pay there. Well, and, and this and this should be something that the that the president or whoever the executives are that are getting hired, they should be able to control these things, right? So even if you are the owner and you're saying, "Hey, I want to be still having these perks," whether that's you know you're just you know you're just tracking that and pulling it out, or you're putting it into SGNA that maybe that person doesn't have you know a say in. You're just getting to the point where it's okay, and you have to clarify those metrics because I mean, otherwise you know, you could be counterproductive is how people are focusing on where to, where to spend the money and the resources. Yes, that, that is true. That is true. And the same thing happens with one-time expenses or one-time income coming in as well in the plan, right? We're going to, we're going to say in plan EBITDA that we're probably going to exclude those types of things, or at least there's going to be a discussion about excluding them or including them in there, right? We have a real big, a big expense coming up and it just makes sense to do it. And that's why we're doing it. Hey, we might exclude it from that year's EBITDA because it's obviously it's going to, it's just a one-time thing and we don't want it to hit and crush value, even though really earnings might've been up. Same thing. If, Hey, the company might own a building or something and sell that building in a year and create a whole bunch of EBITDA for no reason of the executives doing right. And so things like that and thinking ahead about those are important. And I think it goes back to just like you said. I think if the if the people who are going to be in the plan understand your philosophy, and you can and you can you can explain that philosophy of hey, here's how we create value in this organization, and this plan. Look at it right here. Here's the description of it. Here's the legal plan document. Here's how we share that value with those who help us create it. And I think once you get that culture built, all these little nuances in within the formulas and all those in there. Everybody trusts each other in them, and and you create a plan. I think that that is what is around trust in here as well. So then, so if we go back and say, okay, like if we got a million dollars now that we've clarified, like you said, it's important that we've clarified how we get to that EBITDA. Again, the importance of clean financials, but we've got you know we've got a clear understanding and it's tracked about how we find that EBITDA. Then, like you said, so it starts with EBITDA, then it gets to a multiple, and then we have debt and cash. So like. How is it then that, you know, what percentages and how are you picking what percentages and how the shares are vested over, let's say it's a 36 or 48 month um, value growth track it, to get to that value. And so how, how are you um, then also determining the multiple and what that valuation mm -hmm. is? Yeah. So our, our typical thought process on this is that the multiple should be conservative to the slightly conservative to what we believe the market multiple is, right? So I think that's the biggest mistake I think we see in when they're constructing the valuation methodology is too much focus on market value, right? Within the plan, oh my God, we have to make this perfect so that it's exactly replicating market value. And you really can't do that without Having a complex formula is probably changing your multiple over time based on market conditions and that. So what we're saying here is be conservative. If you believe you can sell your business for six or eight times multiple, then make the multiple five in the plan, right? If you believe you can sell for 10, make it maybe eight or seven in the plan. And I'll talk about that in a, re in a minute and why that's important. But the main reason for wanting it to be conservative to the market multiple is if we're using vesting in this plan, so that's the term you've used a little bit already, but the term basically means if I'm vested, it's mine, right? And that means it's mine if I leave, right? And we have a separation and we'd agree to go our separate ways and I'm vested in some value, then you have to pay me that value. And so uh, that's the first reason why then we want a conservative multiples because 
we don't know what we're going to get eventually. And I'm paying you some value now. And I want to make sure I'm not overpaying you to the market. Okay. And if you truly want a market multiple, then you need to stick around until the event happens, right? Until the transaction happens. Because at that point, we can then share that market value with you when that time comes. I don't know how much I've talked about it on the podcast, but in our in our education material, we talk about intrinsic value versus transaction value, where intrinsic is purely the valuation based on a discounted cash flow and it's based on the risk of your cash flow. Like that is as the business stands by by itself today. And you know, ESOPs are gonna look, you know, heavily at that that valuation. But to most financial buyers are going to. And then the transaction value is synergistic where you might be getting a premium or whatever. And and to your point. The discounted cash flow, that's something that's like very easy to, to determine. And it tends to be more conservative based on depending where the market's at. So I think it's good for everybody else to note that it's not like the owner is suppressing the value. It's just there's you're you don't know what that transaction value is until there's an actual buy or like that the baton's handed off to whoever that buyer is. Yeah, that's exactly right. Right. It is it, it's it's saying how why can I take that risk of sharing what we're guessing at at market value right now when when we still haven't we haven't uh, really realized what that value is yet and so especially goes back to what you said before is if i've decided i want to share 10% of the in- increase in value of my business over this next 5 year window with you but i overestimate the multiple that i'm getting guess what i probably ended up sharing 12 or 15% of what the actual market value was cuz i overshared in this plan versus the opposite versus the message to the executive which is I'm going to fairly compensate you. We're going to fairly, uh, we're going to fairly uh, determine the value of the business. And hey, if we can get out there and get this ridiculously high multiple that you see running around out there in the markets today, then and you're here and you help drive that, you're going to participate in it when the sale comes. Because most of our plans we design, when the transaction happens, we convert from this formula we were using to the actual market value that we sold the company for, what we call sales proceeds. So I want to get to that in a second, but I want to also continue laying a couple uh, pieces of groundwork here. So at, talk about like how the shares are created, how that vesting schedule works, and what happens on the balance sheet. So as the liabilities accruing, and then because when we get to the transaction, we're going to talk about like if it's not sold, different exits. I know there's a lot to talk about there, but I, I, let's say that we, as the journey is unfolding over this three to five years of value growth, how does it? How are you actually tracking and measuring and uh, and and in seeing all the data, the, the financial data that you're talking about. Yep. Okay. So you know, let's just continue on with our example we were using. And let's just assume Plan EBITDA for a minute was the million dollars in our five multiple. So we and there, let's just assume there's no debt and no cash right now. Just so we'll make our our uh, numbers easy at this point here. So we have a five million dollar entity. So then within the phantom plan, we need to unitize that or create a share value. We have to have shares. The shares or the units or whatever you want to call them within this plan, they're our currency that we use to be able to give to people, right? An award to people. And so we have to pick a total number of shares so that we can unitize that $5 million. I'd say our most common that we use is a million shares, right? This is not tied in any way to anybody's capitalization. We don't need the same number of shares. We don't need anything like that. We just pick a number. If you like low price uh, stock as the message you're giving, you can use 10 million <laughs> shares. If you like high price, we can make it 100,000 shares. It makes no difference here, right? It's just giving us to a unit value. So for our purposes and my uh, poor math skills, we'll use a million because that's then going to create the $5 share price. Right. So now we have the currency. We have these shares um, based on last year's one million dollars EBITDA, no debt, no cash. Um, we've got a five dollar share price. And so 
I now have the ability to say to this, this new person that I've hired, here is a share, right? I can give the whole share if I want to. And if I gave you one share at that point in time, I'm giving you $5 because that's what it's worth at that point in time. But more likely than not, if we're building this on our growth assumptions, what we're going to say is I'm going to give you one appreciation award, right? A, a, a stock appreciation right or a stock appreciation award that says, here's the starting value at five. I'm going to give you one of these right now. And if you can't grow EBITDA more than above a million dollars, it's always going to stay at $5 and there's no appreciation and thus there's no value for you at that point in time. Okay. So I, now that I have that currency, I'm going to make, make that award. And let's assume we're on an appreciation track here is I'm going to give you that award. But the beauty of the long-term plans for the business owner is I'm really not going to give it to you yet. It's not yours yet. Right. So we're going to attach some restrictions to that, if you will, that the things that have to happen before um, you can have some value in that award. And the first and most common people are used to is vesting, right? And that's kind of how I used that term before and make sure that people understand if it's vested, it means it's mine or his or whoever owns it there, right? <laughs> it, it, that's, that's who it is. And so if, and that means usually also, there are some things we can put in there, but it typically means if I, if somebody leaves and there's been some appreciation, so imagine I give you one of these awards Let's assume we use a four-year vesting schedule that just does straight-line vesting at 25% a year. And let's assume that uh, over the first two years, I vest in half of that one share, but it's now worth $8 two years down the road. So there's been $3 of appreciation that I'm entitled to, and I'm 50% vested, and I leave, you're going to write me a check for $1.50 for that one share, right? You owe it to me, Okay. And so that's the first place that we often have people think is where is the business headed and am I willing to do that? If there is value created in this appreciation award and the person leaves or quits, do I want to pay them, right? Because if we don't, then we don't want to use vesting in these terms, right? We don't want to say you're vested. We want to say it's either a longer period. Um, it could also be performance-based vesting, right? Is It can be time-based and, hey, you have to drive EBITDA up to a million five before I'm going to even share any of that existing value with you, right? So that's the first step in understanding what people are getting and what they truly have. What goes with that is the second thing you brought up, which is that liability, right? So the, these, this is a long-term cash-based plan. And so you need to create the liability on your balance sheet, which is close to vested value, all right? You can think of it in those terms, but ultimately it is, hey, what do I owe and when do I owe it? And, and so by the time it hits 100% vesting, you need to have accrued the entire expense for it. So you get the liability on the balance sheet. You also get an annual charge to earnings, right? An expense each year, right? It's non-cash, so non-tax, right? But I, I've got to create that award and it's actually going to reduce my EBITDA each year. And so we, we're going to create the value before that hit because otherwise we'd have a circular calculation there we'd never get to. But it needs to be adjusted then each year, right? This is variable accounting. So each year as the value goes up, I have another little charge to my earnings that goes up as it goes up. If it drops down, I can recoup some of that expense that I had before back out of that. And so now that's how I'm paying for this plan over a period of time. Because when it comes time to pay somebody, you'll have already accrued the expense. You'll just be writing the check in, in form of cash when it comes time to do that. So there's a, a couple of important concepts that I want to dive into here, Craig, is that you know everything that we're just talking about right now 
if the if the owners listening in haven't shifted their mindset towards focusing on value creation, you're constantly going to be looking at look at what I'm giving up. It's the scarcity mentality versus the abundance mentality of this is for value growth, right? So it's so important because otherwise you're just going to be in this hamster wheel of trying to do everything yourself and you know sucking every living annual dollar out of this instead of the when and how can I get the uh, value creation and the act, harvest the actual financial reward of building this company. And if there's no idea of any kind of exit, then you're going to constantly be looking at this like an expense instead of there's a return on investment because this is truly what this is. So, and I think you were, you're, as you're talking about the vesting and how all those different things work, I mean, you can truly be as creative as you want, right? I mean, this is a, like, once you understand what you want, this is all just going in when maybe kind of describe the plan documents and how like, the tracking and measuring of this is successful over time because I mean truly mm-hmm. plan document and then you have that have the uh, the right tools to track it. Yeah, yes, you can be in the design of these plans. It's almost anything goes as you design them, right? And then as we document them, then we have to live by the contracts that we're creating there. But I think there's there's kind of uh, two ends of the spectrum. You think about if you are on a track that says we're selling this business, we're going to a transaction sometime in the next five years. I think it's possible to just create a plan that says to that person you're bringing in, hey, here are some here are some phantom shares, and these shares are going to be paid when we hit the transaction. And they're never vested before that, right? Because this is where we're going, and this is why I'm hiring you. And it's a simple plan that, that everybody understands. And that person being hired says, I'm all for that because this is where we're going. The pitfalls of that are, what if track changes later? And you gave me something three three years ago, and now I've turned this into this big profitable business and you decide, boy, I like this cash flow. This is going to become a lifestyle business for me. And now that CEO you hired or president you hired is sitting there saying, wait a minute, I only have these shares that pay in the event of a transaction. And now the transaction doesn't look as likely. Okay. And so that's the problem with that. If I, if I know that's where I'm going and I'm definitely going there, that type of design can work. Um, but by and large, the person creating the value wants to know he can be paid for that value in more than just the transaction setting, right? And that's the idea behind vesting and other payment events in your plan and building those into the legal plan documents, right? That that say things like, hey, if I vest and eventually I leave before a transaction, I can get paid. In theory, if we've got our formula value, conservative to the market value, then um, and we based it on EBITDA, I should have the value to pay that person. And I think the scarcity mentality is solved by these appreciation-only awards, right? Because we're only creating value if we've driven up EBITDA here. And typically in these plans, most shareholders are only going to share somewhere between 10 and 20% of appreciated value over some period of time. And so I'm not sharing it all, right? If I'm the sole shareholder, I'm getting the other 80 or 90% myself there. And so um, I think constructed right, you really can overcome this scarcity mentality and the expense mentality of it. Um, over that period of time. Well, and we talked about it earlier where you wouldn't do this if it wasn't possible without them, right? Like, so everybody's going, if they're, they're going, well, 10 to 20% of that, of that 12 million bucks, I mean, that's like, but if you couldn't do it without them, that's your answer. Yep. And, and also the, the, you know, I think what's interesting is like what I've seen go wrong. And then I want to kind of talk about if there is a transaction, not a transaction, how do you make sure that you're accounting for this correctly? So you don't get into a pinch where you owe someone 2 million bucks and you don't have the cash for it. I just think that like, so I'll go with with the stories that I've heard of 
okay, Greg, you're my, you're my executive, you vested, and now you've got 15% of my company that potentially is worth 50 million, but we never do evaluation. And I've seen it where like, and I've got some people that I know who are in that situation and they're, they're the executive. There's nothing more toxic for the relationship, for the culture, because there's this hypothetical sale that the company only has the cash to pay the person if it sells, but now it's a lifestyle business. The owners bought a plane and you have one majorly resentful executive who cannot get out. And there's nothing more destructive for everybody. And I think it's because they didn't save the cash. There's no expectations that the, the plan changed. I'm sure you've heard that story, XYZ individual a thousand times. <laughs> yep. Yep. And I think that's one of the other things phantom stock can do for you is the, the one major difference in these than the actual equity is we have to build in all the events for payment right ahead of time. And so um, we at least have to speak to them in the plan document. And those are what happens if a person separates from service? What happens if they die? What happens if they become disabled? What happens if we sell the company, right? We kind of have to say what happens there. We also can build in another one that is a scheduled distribution, right? So we can build a one that's time-based in there that says, hey, I'm going to give you some of these awards today, and I'm going to cash them in in five years or six years or eight years in there. But along with that annual accrual expense, we highly encourage that the business should be funding this plan, right? Because it's going to create, it's going to help create the value of your business. If I have this naked liability just growing on my balance sheet that's showing I owe this guy a million dollars and I have no corresponding asset with it, it's just lowering the value of your business. The second point to make on that is if you set some money aside, and when I say set it aside, right, this is just another balance sheet asset here. We can't set the money aside. We can't protect it from creditors. It's, it's, an, it's an asset of the company, but it's earmarked for the value of this plan. And what I like to equivalent to is it's it's saving and it's making the person who's helping create the value also pay for his own value, right? So it's taking some of that EBITDA each year and saying, set it aside instead of our social security model that eventually hits this tipping point where we don't have enough people paying for it, right? Like your example, we get out there 10 years, we owe this guy a million dollars, we've saved nothing for it, and he wants to leave now, and I have to pay him his million dollars over the next five years. Let's say that's how we built the plan. Well, now I'm burdening my new president I'm hiring to be able to pay this guy $200,000 a year to get him to his million dollars um, after he's retired, as opposed to saying, let's set some money aside, and then it's there, and I can pay it. And we, we, we took it out of his earnings, which were worth what was driving that value up to begin with. How many times do you see that people run into the complications that I explained because they're not disciplined to track all this stuff? Yeah, I think you see it a lot, right? And what it, and even I think more importantly than that, right, is that that means you're also not communicating the plan and the plan value to your participant, which is one of the most valuable pieces of these plans, right? Is communicating them, understanding how they work. Because one, I didn't quite get to it, but I think it's important to note is when you develop these plans, is don't just give out whatever you're going to give all at one time to this person. Don't hire that president if, if you. If the deal is to get him 10% of the appreciated value, don't just, and in our example, we used a million phantom shares. Don't give him 100,000 of those appreciation-only shares all in the first year. Multiple reasons, right? I don't care how sure you are, you're never that sure, okay, of this person. <laughs> and, and things change, okay? Um, and if you give something all at one time and attach a vesting schedule to it, then at that some one point in time in the future, he becomes 100% vested. What we would recommend is make the awards over a couple of year period of time or even more, right? If you get him to his 10%, if that's what you want him to have by giving him 20,000 shares a year for five years. 
and attach a new vesting schedule each time. And then more important than that, attach a new starting value each time as EBIT is going up. So he has a new hurdle to go above, right? So his first hurdle was five bucks, and then he got another 20,000 shares at 650 and another at eight bucks. And so you're constantly, constantly getting him to strive forward, not going, hey, I got 100,000 at five bucks, and we're sitting here at 15, so I've got my million bucks, and I'm happy. So then as you, but let's say you've got a lot of this stuff accomplished, and we're going back to our case study and saying, okay, the goal is to get to two million, so I can have a twelve million dollar value company. So, I, truly, as the business owner, I just want more options, right? I can get a higher multiple. I get it. I'm in investment banking material. I could do an ESOP. I could sell the private equity. Maybe the strategic that's been chasing me. Just truly options, but and and the ability to walk away. So, as the options come, you have more choices, obviously. So, therefore, you may decide not to sell, or maybe you say, well, the next million dollars is going to give me another 10 million in value because of all these different reasons. So how do you address the, the that, that liability and the executives who are sitting there? Well, let's say she says, you know what, I want out and I had a t- you know five-year timeline. You decided not to sell this year. COVID happened. I'm drained. You know, all those things that life and business happen. How do you address that if the, if the, if the track changes for both parties? Yeah, so vesting is going to start to deal with that, right? If the person decides, hey, we made it out five years, but let's assume we, we did what I just recommended, which we gave you some shares over the period of time. And so I'm going to be some percentage vested in all of my awards, maybe 100% vested in the first ones I got down to 20 or 40% vested in the ones you gave me recently. And that person says they want to leave then that's what vesting means. We're going to pay them, right? But typically, we're going to design into the plan. We're not going to pay you all at one time, right? We're, we're going to say, hey, we're going to pay you, but we're going to pay you over some period of time. Two to five years can be can be uh, seen in these plans here. Um, and kind of an interesting aside there, too, we can tie those payments to that person not competing with you as well, right? So not a non-compete agreement, but it's an agreement that says, if you go out there and try to take some of our customers or take some of our employees, we're gonna stop making these payments. So kind of a little uh, tool you can use in there. But ultimately, you're gonna you're able to pay that person. You've already accrued the expense, right? Via, via your balance sheet, because that person's vested, and that's almost always what you have accrued is at least the vested value. And then I'm gonna pay that person at the formula value, right? And so at that formula value that we agreed to along the way, and I'm gonna make those payments. Hopefully, I set some money aside, so I have it, and I'm not trying to pull it all out of earnings going forward. But uh, e- either way, I'm gonna pay that person over that period of time. I think the flip side is we do get to the transaction, right? The, the flip side is we get to that transaction. And instead of a five multiple, we share, we sell for an eight multiple, right? And you don't have to share that market multiple with you, but I highly encourage it in all of our plans, right? It puts everybody shooting for the same thing. It creates the perfect alignment with shareholders and participants. And we then convert that value to the transaction value. And so if we were formula valuing the company, let's say we had just doubled EBITDA from one million to two, so now our company's worth ten million according to this person's plan value, but we really sell for fifteen million, right? We're going to now convert the value of that person's shares to that fifteen million dollar number, okay? And this is the reason that it's important to not be too conservative in your valuation model because. Remember, we awarded all of these appreciation-only shares at a five multiple, but just sold at an eight. So they just got a 60% bump in value in their appreciation because of this new value here, 
Okay. And so we don't want that to be way different. We don't want a two multiple selling for an eight because your liability just tripled on your, on, when it comes time to pay. So when I say be conservative, be conservative, but not too conservative so that we don't get a surprise at a sale if we sell way more. You're always going to have the money. It's just, and the percentage is going to, the percentage of the increase in value is going to stay close to the same, but you're going to get surprised on how much money you owe that person if you, if you were too conservative in your model there. And you just, you just said on something I think is super important is that when we are modeling out the out your projections of, because you can model out the, the future value growth like you and I are talking about. And that's what's so important is that's kind of like an assumption that people are doing that. You can actually model out the net proceeds. So like as this liability is on your balance sheet, and if you were to transact, you can say, this is still how much would go into my pocket. So you're not just guessing at the end, how much is going to go into your pocketbook. And it's also, I think where you're, what's interesting is like, it's also important to be conservative too, Craig, because I like the last thing I would ever want is someone where they're exactly, let's say you get to the 2 million in EBITDA and the transaction value of a, of a third party could pay that eight multiple, but they want to do an ESOP because they've already got enough money. And they're like, you know what? I want to go this route. You don't have someone that's responsible for driving your whole company, you know, going against you to try and get that bump that they originally thought was there. I think it's just, there's a potential for conflict there. Yep. There, yeah, there, there definitely is. And, and so I think it goes back to look at all the plans we want to be fair as much as we can. And I think, right. It's, Everybody has to have that attitude going in that, hey, we're doing this here because we believe in each other. We believe you can help me create value and I'm willing to share it with you, right? You're, we're never doing these plans in, in the negative, right? That, that you're forcing me to do this and I'm only, you've got me over a barrel and that's why I'm doing it. It's the wrong premise going in. You'll never have, the, you'll never have a plan that really is the purpose of these plans, which is the plan itself and the results is the celebration of great results. That's what these plans are. It's not, it's not, it's not a, it's not trying to influence your behavior. It's not hanging just the carrot and the stick and saying, Hey, do this. And this happens. It's saying, look at, if we can do this together, here's the, this is the celebration of results. This is the expression of those of us succeeding. And it's a win-win for both, both sides. One thing too, like going back to the uh, transaction, I think you and I, in one of our conversations had talked about how, if the goal was to transact, is to have that where they get paid out on staying with that third party. So that way there's not just, they're not just all of a sudden getting their money and walking away and they were crucial for the deal. Anything that you can, any insights you have on uh, examples? Yep, ab absolutely. So it depends on the position, I think a lot, and depending on the number of people, but the, you know, almost can turn the plan into a negative if, the new buyer sees, oh, wow, you're going to write all these big checks to these, these, my executives here, it's the whole team and they might now walk. And so we don't want ever want this plan to be a, a detriment to a potential transaction. And so you do see what you described quite often in here, which is sometimes both vesting and payment being tied to those people staying for some period of time. Right. So we, we, we would have, once the, the transaction is triggered, right, is we might vest and pay an executive half of what they're owed at the transaction, right? And then what we say to that person is stick around for another year, stick around for another 18 months, stick whatever number you think is right in there and stick around for that period of time and we'll pay you the other half, right? Or we'll pay you 25, you know, the other 25% in nine months and 25 more in nine more months for 18 months. So any of those work where that you say to that person, but if you quit, 
If you just quit the business, you're going to forfeit that last part of that value so we get you to get you to stay there. Sometimes what it also does is allows a honeymoon period, if you will, between the new business owner and this exec to work out their own deal going forward, right? Instead of having it just be over a barrel when the exec's got all his money in that period of time and he's driving all of it, he gives those two a period of time to work it out. And you also always build in that if the new buyer then terminates that person in that period of time, the person gets all of their money, right? So it's only if they have a voluntary separation where they forfeit. So as we're as we're kind of wrapping up here, I think, you know, what are, you know, you and Vision Link, you talk a lot about communication. So explain like, you know, a lot, you, essentially you can be as creative as you want. You have to know, know certain things about your business and have clarity and, and being able to track these things. Then it comes out of communication. Can you talk about the most effective ways you've seen entrepreneurs and owners roll this out and then see the long-term success? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it is the key in all compensation plans, but this one especially, right? Because we're talking about out in the future, things that we hope to happen out in the future. And so I think the communication revolve around first, making sure everybody understands the plan and is extremely clear on how it works and what it's supposed to accomplish, right? So what's this purpose of our plan? So that's when, when it comes time that we finish designing the plan and we've done the plan, legal plan document, it's the enrollment materials where we're getting that person to understand. It's possibly some projections of what can happen out into the future. These shouldn't be just a surprise that this first time an exec seen, right? He knows what the opportunity here is. This is just quantifying what he might be able to achieve over a period of time. And so um, I think having a good system that can both project out your plan as well as then help you monitor and manage that plan going forward and create new awards on an annual basis. So the other reason we like new awards, right? It's a new expression of me giving you something new on an annual basis and then tracking those and sending you annual statements that say, hey, here's where you stand right now. We gave you some shares at $5, they're worth $6. Here's how much you're vested. We just gave you some more at six. And constantly communicating, especially if things change, what the possibilities are out there in that plan. And so that people understand and see where they are and see what that, that potential value could mean to them. And we do that um, with what we call an employee value statement also. So it's added on to this, and it takes a look really at all of their compensation, right? It takes a look at salaries and potential annual bonuses in addition to this, this phantom stock value and says, hey, you might be a $200,000 a year executive, but look at what can happen over the next five years if we hit our plan here. You can earn this much in annual bonus. This Your long-term value plan of stock is going to be worth why. This isn't a $200,000 a year opportunity. This is a two or $3 million opportunity over the next five years if we hit our, hit our, our goals. There's a couple components in this that I see to be successful besides just the communication is the financial clarity to being able to track all this stuff, right? Because everybody's got to be able to have... The, you know, there's got to be integrity in the data so we can look at this and say, yeah, you're right. We are accomplishing this or not accomplishing this. The other is this plan document. And can you explain a little bit more for someone that's having a hard time, you know, the visual people that are listening in saying, okay, what is it? So yes, I can, we can track the shares and the vesting and the liabilities, but like, what the hell is this plan document? And then are we, commi are we committing to something that may or may not change, you know, as life and business changes. So kind of explain the plan document. And then if someone is driving towards that transaction at 2 million and uh, 12 million value, and they decided to change their mind, explain how the plan document accounts for the kind of the choose your own adventure. Yeah. So this is a long-term plan is a promise, a long-term promise to pay, right? And the, and the plan document itself just describes all the legal conditions around that contract, 
Okay. And then the, when we make an award of phantom shares, that person gets, we can term this any way we want, but it's in essence, a participation agreement. And it outlines all the terms and conditions of what we gave them. So how many units, the price of those units, the vesting schedule, and it kind of marries them back to the plan document. The plan document is a legal document. It's a company document. It's private. You don't file it anywhere, but it is all the terms and conditions everybody has to live up to under the plan. And so when we give out awards and give a participation agreement, it abides by those terms and conditions of the plan document. If we want to change any of those later, we can never change what we've already given. So if we've given something out and we said this is how we're going to deal with those, then we have to live up to that. Both sides have to live up to that, right? If we change and say, hey, you know what? We want to give some new awards and we want them to have some different terms and conditions, then we can do that. But ultimately, it's the legal document. It's kind of the guiding principles of the plan and how we have to abide by that. And it is contractual, right? I think that's the benefit that participants get, um, just like they would if you gave them equity. Um, this is a contract and a promise to pay. And so if, if we have built-in events for payment that were only around a sale, that's a problem with the design if we change that later. It doesn't mean we can't give them something new, though, at that point in time. And we can even give them something new that started at the previous value. So you have a little more flexibility in phantom shares than you do actual stock options that you can't give in the money stock options, but we can give in the money phantom appreciation rights. I mean, it's truly just being intentional about thinking through all the different things that could happen and then writing them down. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just... It is. It's just foresight on how, how you want the different things to, to unfold and then just putting it in the, in the document. Um, it is. It so is. One last, I, don't, I think you kind of covered it just a little bit and then we can wrap up here. Is like, what if the company value goes down? So like, like how does that, you know, because I'm just thinking of all the people that are thinking of all the objections that they might have, you know, what happens if the yeah. opposite happens? <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, it's actually the perfect plan for that, believe it or not, right? And it's the perfect plan to not give all the awards at once. So back to our example, if I wanted you to have 10%, I gave you 100,000 awards at five bucks. And three years later, we're sitting at 350, right? And I have a bunch of underwater, you know, stock appreciation rights here. And it's pretty depressing. I probably have a pretty good chance of, you know, maybe losing that person. And maybe I need to lose that person. Maybe that's the reason we're at 350 instead of five bucks. But nonetheless, maybe it's not. Maybe COVID hit, right? And, uh, you know, you have, you have some other reason for that. It's the first reason to not give all the awards at one time. Because if, if, if I gave you some at five, but I only gave you some portion of them, and now we drop to 350, I can give you some new awards at 350, right? That have a new lower starting value that have the ability to be in the money faster just by getting back to our starting value of five. Um, and so the continuously awarding of shares based on where our value is, our formula value is over a period of time, this works great. And because what better, what better message can you send to your person in that year, which is, hey, listen, we just had a really lousy year, obviously. You didn't earn a bonus more than likely, right? If our, if our share price dropped from five to 350, we didn't pay you a bonus, but guess what? I still believe in you and our future. So I'm giving you some more of these units at 350 because I believe we can still get to that $12 number. Super cool. We've covered some awesome ground here. I don't know if there's anything that is lingering out there that you want to make sure we cover before we, uh, we wrap up. Yeah, I, I do. I think obviously we delved into it pretty deep. I think, um, you know, when you, when you build the plans, don't, don't over-engineer them and don't try to think of every possibility out there, right? I think it is think of the main ones that, that are going to have the most effect and build a plan that is thought of as a value sharer, right? And then not an expense. And it has an expense and we're going to see that on my balance sheet. But ultimately, I'm sharing value that this person or persons are helping create. 
So perfect. Two last questions. One is what does the word intentional mean to you? Intentional? Mm. Uh, intentional is that's the outcome that I want. That is what I mean to happen. And then it's awesome. Uh, very straight to the point and very clear. <laughs> I love it. And uh, what is the best place to find more about you, Vision Link, and all the uh, materials that you guys have out there? Yeah. Um, you know, like anybody, I believe, we believe we have a really strong website. So we created two websites, our standard website, which is bladvisors.com. So visionlinkadvisors.com um, has all of the information about our firm and the different services we have. We created a another site at phantomstockonline.com. So this is obviously built. We built it as kind of a wiki site. So it's informational here where you can literally go in and build a sample plan for your own company in there. It has a tool in there that you literally can use that and go in and do it. It has white papers. It has all kinds of basically free information that you can go and find out more about it. That's uh, phantomstockonline.com. Greg, this has been a blast, man. I appreciate you coming on. You bet, Ryan. I appreciate you having me. Thanks for tuning into that episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I wanted to demystify a lot of the misconceptions as it relates to short and long-term incentive plans. I wanted to show you that it's possible to decouple your role from the business while continuing to grow value based on hiring rock stars and incentivizing them to grow value that's truly in line with your own objectives. The big key part of this is you have to know what do you want from your business and why. You need to know what the company's worth today. You need to know what's going to grow the value of that company. And then you need to place people on your executive team that are responsible for growing that value and then let them pay for their own incentive plans based on that future value growth. I mean, doesn't that sound really awesome? It's possible, but you have to understand how this stuff works. Go check out the Intentional Growth course. Go to the Education tab. Learn about business valuations. Learn about the strategies that grow value. So then you know what to look for when you're hiring these rock stars and how to tie them into that value growth using the clear financials that you've set up. Thanks for tuning in. I really enjoyed this episode and I hope you did too. And I will see you next week.